Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody. It's Josh Rutledge, your co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us more, please head over to our website, fearscapepodcast.com. There you can click on store and browse some really awesome t-shirts and maybe pick a couple up or even go to our Patreon page and see how you can support us monthly. We love bringing you awesome content just as much as you like listening to it. Enjoy the show. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown. One podcast at a time. Hello, I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts, cryptids, aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep. Into the fear scale, fear scale, fear scale. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another fantastic and historical episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, and I am joined, as usual, by my very dapper co-host. Josh Rutledge, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm trying to use some antiquated words here a yeah, little bit, right. um, because today, Dapper my Dan. oh my, do we have an amazing episode. We have on with us for our topic today, we got to sit down and interview Jeff Mudgett. Um, for those of you that don't know Jeff Mudgett, Jeff Mudgett is the great great-grandson of America's first serial killer and the proprietor of the murder castle uh, in the late 1800s of Chicago, H.H. Holmes. So this is his great-great-grandson. He's written a book uh, a few years back called Bloodstains that kind of talks about his connection to Holmes, uh, as well as he's the star of History Channel's show from 2017 called American Ripper, where they try to find a connection between Holmes and Jack the Ripper, possibly being one in the same. One in the same, yeah. So, which they do, you know, they do paint a pretty good oh, picture for sure. If you haven't seen the show, um, you know, and you've got the History Channel app, I highly recommend checking it out. Or actually, now uh, History's been dumping a lot of their stuff on YouTube. Yes, for free, for free, for free watch. Yeah. And so I actually just looked, and uh, this entire 
uh, series is available on YouTube for, oh, for free watch. Nice. Well, yeah, definitely check that out. I mean, my goodness, what an amazing show. Jeff is such an amazing guy. I can't wait for you guys to check out the interview. Uh, and again, his book is called Bloodstains. Uh, it's such a good book. Um, so we're very, very excited to have uh, Jeff on the show. Um, but before we get into all that, and again, that's why I said I was being antiquated because we're talking about a serial killer from the late <laughs> 1800s. 1800s right. If there was anybody who was dapper, I mean, this dude waxed his mustache all oh, the time. Oh, for sure. And I don't mean bikini yeah. wax. I mean legit wax in his mustache. And that's not a euphemism. No. I mean, he was <laughs> he was waxing up his mustache, man, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, the cover of the book simply says, I was born with the devil in me, and he has been with me ever since. I mean, that is a H.H. H. Holmes quote. Uh, just holy moly, man. If you don't know who H.H. H. Holmes is, I, where have you been? Yeah. Where have you Under been? Under a rock, apparently. He makes Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer and all those guys look stupid. I'm I, like to the point where I'm I'm almost certain that the horror movies from the fifties and and sixties, like that dealt with mad scientists or like people yeah. had these trap doors and and all these like hidden rooms and stuff. This was the murder castle. He made that in real life. Like what it what it really uh, correlates to for me is uh, Sweeney Todd. Yes, yes, Sweeney. That would have been around the same time period as well. Yeah. Um, yeah that. That, that just that oh my god I, it's funny because i've been again why we're psychically linked i've legit all week been listening to sweeney todd the musical um because it popped in my head on monday and i've been listening to it nonstop. i've been singing it all day yeah it was a barber and his wife <laughs> and she was beautiful like i mean seriously yeah. not even joking so funny that you mentioned sweeney todd but maybe that's why because i've been digging deep right. into the hh home stuff but yeah so there you go so you got and They've always compared Sweeney Todd was inspired by, um, you know, Jack the Ripper and stuff like that. So, you know, it, this Bloodstains is such a f- phenomenal book. Um, and there's just so much cool stuff that Jeff will be talking about. And uh, I just I just want to talk yeah. about it all right now. I mean, H.H. <laughs> Holmes, he put gas thingies like underneath people's bed and like hermetically sealed doors and then release the gas from under this bed to kill people or yeah. to knock them out so he could dissect them alive. Was, and, oh. Yeah. This is this dude's great great grandfather. Right. Whew, talk about messed up, man. It's like my, <laughs> like I can't even imagine what that's like. So, uh, but anyways, we're gonna get to that soon. I want to uh, get through this stuff. Not that it's unimportant, but I'm just so excited for everybody to listen to this interview. Um, but let's go ahead and get to the psychic word of the week. Our first segment of the day. And now the psychic. Of the week. All right, so psychic word of the week, as you guys know, comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary by June Bletzer. Rest in peace, honey buns. Um, so as usual, we flip through and uh, we look through the book and we stop at a page. Today I have uh, stopped on page 613. And the word that I stopped on was actually tag, like tag your it. Um, so I actually got a word this time. Yay. Um, but it, it as well has two definitions. The uh, first one in parentheses uh, says biofeedback training. What it says is this denotes the subject hooked up to a biofeedback instrument was capable of identifying his or her subjective experience, had some understanding of it and could control it while using the machine. Two, this one in parentheses is dreams. It says, 
says a short phrase or one word used to indicate the theme of the dreams in the dream diary for the purpose of comparing the dream content over a period of time. Okay, so the second one makes a little more sense to me. The second one is just like, you know, you're tagging it for later to, to basically reference it. Yeah. I don't know why that, uh, June, I'm sorry, but I don't know why that is specific to dreams um, per se, <laughs> a dream diary, but I guess for the sake of this. Um, but it also has down on there uh, visceral learning. Um, so maybe that's a part of it. But no, what's interesting here is the first part, which talks about being hooked up to a biofeedback instrument um, and that they are capable of identifying the subjective experience and having some understanding of it. So um, what is a biofeedback like, I, what would that be? I would I, what I immediately think of is like when you get those circular stickers on at the hospital with oh, the wires okay. hooked up to it. I'm pretty. I think that's like so a so not, like not like nipple clamps or something. Yeah, that's not biofeedback, my friend. That's something Santosh can teach you about. <laughs> so uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, but yeah, so very very interesting um, that it gets into the bio. It says the biofeedback training. So I. I yeah, again, uh, very very weird. A little confused by that one, but yeah, the dream one makes a little more sense. Um, I wouldn't even know how to use the term tag in the first definition. So, uh, I'm yeah, I mean, well, <clears throat> so what if you're doing a um, what if they're doing a brain scan mm -hmm. and they see some activity and they tag that activity in the brain scan? Well, then you would think that that's how they would say that because essentially that's what the second definition is about when it talks about dream is <clears throat> tagging that um, experience in a dream journey to go back. But this, again, it says biofeedback training. It says this denotes the subject hooked up to a biofeedback instrument was capable of identifying his or her subjective experience. So maybe he is, he or she is tagging that experience. You know, like... So it, maybe it's something like this. <clears throat> so you take a lot of the experiments that they did, like the CIA stuff did. You know, oh, like for, the, I thought of MKUltra right yeah, away. Right, sure. so... So um, they're doing experiments. They're asking questions. You're, you're, they're showing you cards, whatever the case may be. They're, the whole time you're hooked up to a brain scan. Mm. So you you tag Correct. with yourself, this is when this happened. They go back and look at the, brain, look scan at the brain scan. And now say, that makes yep, sense. Okay, that's yeah. exactly when that happened. Yeah, you're you're that, able to identify that thing. That makes sense. It's almost like an earthquake and then going and checking the yeah, size check monitor. Yeah, checking the size monitor. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I feel better about that now. Thanks, I'm glad June we Blitzer. can work through that. I think you channeled June Bletzer. That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I am June Bletzer. Um, was she but yeah. a smoker? I don't know. No, that was just my channel voice. Okay. People are still scared from last right. week. So, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So that's our psychic word of the week. Let's go ahead and jump into spooky news. So most of you may actually have heard this, unless it's just the way my news feed is algorithmed out. Um, but I've been seeing this everywhere. And this comes from uh, uh, baynews9.com in Tampa. But like I said, I could have picked from 100 of these. That says, mysterious seeds from China mailed to people across the U.S. And I've been seeing this a lot. And I've been seeing people on Facebook posting that they got these weird seeds 
uh, from a package from China, and I'm like, did some guy just get on Wish and just like order <laughs> five thousand for right. fifty cents and just like pulled up a phone book and just <laughs> sent it out? But what it says is, it says the. Um, they may be invasive and may pose a threat to plant, animal, and human health. That's how the U.S. Department of Agriculture is referring to the seeds of unknown origin. And it said states across the country are dealing with a, poten- a potentially dangerous influx. According to the authorities, the mysterious seed packets are being mailed to unsuspecting Americans, including people in Florida. Remember, this is from the Florida uh, news station there. The USDA calls it agricultural smuggling, and the seeds appear to be coming from China. Florida's Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services on Monday issued a warning saying, anyone receiving these suspicious seed packets should not open them, should not plant them, and should limit contact with them and should report them immediately to both our department and USDA officials. This is what Nikki Freed said from the Florida Agricultural Commission. I know what this is. This is invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> the pod people coming yeah. at you, man. Uh, according to the FDCAS, the state has received at least 160 reports from Florida residents about these unwelcome seed deliveries. The packages have Chinese characters on them, may have the words China Post, and could be labeled as jewelry. There are reports uh, in Louisiana, Virginia, Kansas, Oklahoma, Utah, and Washington as well. And Washington is where I saw a couple friend a friend that whose like mother had gotten a packet mm. um and of course if you're listening and you got these seed packets don't plant them don't eat them uh and it says uh to call um the well i guess if you're just in florida call the fda cs division of plant industry at 188-397-1517 or just contact the usda uh they have their own anti-smuggling hotline which is 1-800-877-3835 you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> so when it says they have Chinese characters on them, or like, like you know the symbols are Chinese, or like Hello Kitties on them? No, they're legit uh, Chinese words. So the reason I know is that I've seen a lot of news articles on this. I buy a lot of stuff from Wish and from yeah. China things because you know my sweet laser pointer I got for yeah, a really. dollar free shipping um, and it's amazing but wish it's it's hit or miss so right. sometimes you get some crap I bought a lightsaber on there and let me tell you it was <laughs> not worth the $30 I spent <laughs> um, it was literally a piece of plastic so anyways I don't want to talk about it yeah. I'm still bitter um, but yeah the packages look just like that it's like that white bag and it's got that big yeah. sticker and Chinese right. characters all over it um, but yeah, people didn't order these, <laughs> so but they're addressed to them. It's not like it just says resident, right? You know, like <laughs> like it was some sort of a mass mailing, right? And it, it's like you know there are conspiracy theorists that are already like this is the end of the world. These are the chosen people. Um, the these are the seeds that are going to save yeah. lives when the bomb hits or right. whatever. <laughs> you take the red seed, and we see how far this rabbit hole goes. And they're like, that's why the government is saying don't plant them because yeah. they don't want <laughs> right. What if it's? I'm sure, I wonder a, what QAnon thinks about this. <laughs> I kind of want to get some and do like some kind of controlled planting just to see what springs up. Yeah, that's how Little Shop of Horrors started too, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, feed me, feed me. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, it, the reason I went into spooky news is that yeah, with everything going on, it's just yeah. so 
weird. weird. And then people are freaked out, of course, because it's from China, which is where the virus originated, supposedly. So they're afraid they're going to get the virus, like yeah. that people are like, like those old urban legends, like how uh, people with AIDS would put like a syringe in a movie seat and just say, uh, um, you know, I don't think I've ever heard oh, that. Oh, you never heard that no. urban legend? Oh, yeah. There's a, there was used to be an urban legend in the 90s when we used to go to movies, and I remember Tim was the one that told me about it, but I've, I've since heard it since then. Uh, Tim is an fr- old friend of ours. Um, but, yeah, that they would put these, like, needles or these syringes uh, in these movie seats, and then you would sit down, and there'd be a note that says, you've just contracted AIDS. Welcome to my world. Um, oh. You know, just an urban legend, you know, um, or or other diseases like that you so know. from people who are phobic yes and so that's that's what's happening with these seeds is is because it's also for older people it's bringing back memories of anthrax and yeah. <laughs> just stuff right. like that so i don't know it's it's crazy and weird and and spooky that's why yeah. it's under spooky news okay so, all right man uh let's get into our ufo sighting of the week so we can get to uh mr jeff mudget All right, so we've got uh, our UFO sighting of the week. We didn't have one last week because we had such an amazing long well, episode. I mean, we had hours, but ours yeah, not, a, not yeah. a non-spooky crew uh, UFO sighting. Right. But what do we got uh, this week? Yeah, so I went ahead. This goes back uh, to March of this year. No one was alive then. I know. But I but I thought it relevant because it's from Parkersburg, West Virginia. Oh, just north of the injured cold sighting. Exactly. Interesting. So... It happens like this. I walked out to let my dogs out to go to the bathroom and looked up at the North Star and seen a light extremely high in the horizon, but extremely bright. But as I watched, I saw seven more directly behind the other spaces perfectly. The crafts went from one side of the horizon to the other in a matter of 1.5 to 2 minutes. I hate to be the guy to say this, but it sounds like Starlink. Yeah, and, and, and really without any other information um, other than to say, you know, it was the closest maybe to the North Star, which I don't know if that's in line with Starlink, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it could have been, or it could have been like what we've talked about before is that they hide in the path of Starlink yeah. to be unnoticed. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I hate that I even have to consider it. I know. Well, what what's what is very possible to do though because we have the date and the time is to double check is to look it up against starlink right to, to see if if that did pass through in that time sure and maybe that's something we can do uh during the interview we can do a quick look up and yep. talk about it when we get back from the interview um but one thing i did want to say is is it's about to get even more crowded i don't know if you've seen that jeff bezos and amazon have now been approved to send up their own satellites to create satellite internet so it was already about to get crowded with elon's satellites. well the the difference though is that um now what's already up there is up there mm-hmm. but now with everything that goes up they have to angle uh, their uh, solar panels so as to not reflect the light back to Earth. Mm, that's so, smart. So that's a that's something that Elon said that he was going to do, and I believe all the others are going to do it as well, so that they don't continue to pollute the night sky. Yeah, and I knew astronomers were pretty 
frustrated by the whole thing as well. Um, so, but yeah, so we'll we'll take a look at that Starlink route. We'll let you guys know after the interview is done. Um, but yeah, that puts us at uh, that's our UFO sighting for the week, and uh, it, it, it it's still a UFO to this guy, whether it's Starlink or not, because it yep. was un- unidentified to him. Remember that's that's, right. that's not you know the the thing that I tell my kids all the time is that unidentified does not mean alien. No, it does not. Uh, not even UAP. It does not. <laughs> no. I mean, it just it just means that we just don't, don't know, know what it is. Um, you know, could it be alien? Yeah. Could it be government? Yeah. Could it be Kermit and Miss Piggy? Maybe. Could it be pigs in space? Pigs in space! <laughs> I love pigs in space. <laughs> I would have watched a whole show of just pigs, pigs in, in space. space. Yeah. yeah, so good. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, the new uh, Muppet show on Disney Plus is awesome. Muppets now, it's good. It's I fun. highly recommend it. Fantabulous. Fan, fan, stickity, diggity, diggity, dabulous. So we need to, before we get into our interview, we need to hit up some creepy ketchup. Uh, of course, I would never forget creepy ketchup because it has been kind of an interesting week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's move right into creepy ketchup creepy ketchup creepy ketchup creepy ketchup creepy ketchup y'all it's creepy all right, I don't have super specific things besides the stuff that me you and Santosh have been continuing yeah. to have happen to us um, just between electronics messing up um, weird buzzing noises. Weird buzzing noises um, to the point where um, I told you my boss made fun of me and yeah. said that there were three uh, um, Asian-looking men in black suits and black ties that showed up looking for me, and I freaked out a little bit because <laughs> yeah. uh, he asked me if I was talking to any Mormons is the way that he yeah. did it. And I'm like, well, they don't usually wear a suit coat. <laughs> but he said black hats, the whole yeah. nine yards, and that they were going to come back the next day. And I'm like, oh, my God. And he's like, ha, ha, sucker. <laughs> so because he knows I'm into the stuff. He's been seeing me read the Men in Black books. And, and of course, he occasionally listens to the podcast and stuff. So he was totally getting me, which is what we do a lot. So that got me. But I've just been on edge. I've just been on edge. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't really slept well until last night. Uh, I haven't slept well since our getting back from our trip. Yeah. Uh, just really processing everything that that happened, uh, you know. Ever, you know, all, all you guys got a little taste of that as part of the Mothman episode, but yeah. there was so much more so that much occurred more. Um, that hopefully you'll, you'll get to see soon in, in a YouTube type doc. Um, but yeah, just processing all that. I I just I know that I have dreams. I just when I wake up the next day, I'm just exhausted still, like I didn't sleep. Um, yeah, so so last night, though, um, I heard a lot of activity. Like, my cat was laying on the bed with us, but we kept hearing all kinds of creaks and pops and noises and everything out, out in, the like, the living room. And, uh, and I've been working on, um, you know, kind of expanding my, I don't know, psychic ability, I guess. And mm-hmm. so, uh, like, I felt like, you know, am I hearing more of this stuff because I'm more sensitive to it? And so I decided to, you know, do what you and Santosh had talked to me about, about shielding and all that kind of stuff. So I did a little bit of that. Um, and I still just felt really vulnerable. Hmm. Um, so I... Uh, it's interesting you say vulnerable, though, because that's how I've felt since yeah. we got back. So I did this I did this thing. It was really weird. I, I like uh, I imagined in the core of my stomach or in the core of my being uh, like a like a bright 
ball of light. Mm -hmm. And every time I inhaled, I imagined blowing it up like a balloon and it getting unsurmountably larger and larger and larger until it had covered and surrounded my entire house. Hmm. Then I imagined it crystallizing on the outside of the bubble, if you will, so that it became just impregnable. Like you shielded your entire home. Yeah. That's a really... And I, you know, with someone who doesn't... Hasn't done these things throughout the years like Santosh and I have, it's amazing the technique that you've essentially created on your own that even I'm fascinated by that I'm like, oh... I could do that because I know the ways I was taught never an improvised fashion. Right. right. So it's really interesting to see the correlation of what I was already taught, but through a brain that's just done it on their own. It's really cool. Huh. And well, I actually cool. kind of prefer that. <laughs> Glad as an improviser, I would think that you would, you'd think when it comes to spiritual <laughs> stuff, I'm le- I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So, I, that's the Catholic in me though. It's <laughs> ritual, ritual, yeah. ritual. So, so anyway, so after doing that, I fell asleep, I slept great, had dreams that I remembered the next day. I mean, I just, I, you know, it, just, it was a great night of sleep. Now, you know, one, one could probably argue that it was because I convinced myself mentally that it was, you know, going to be okay or whatever the sure. case would be. But, but, uh, but I mean, and I, you know, my, my, um, so one of my daughters has been getting up and coming into our room at like between midnight and three o'clock every morning. For like weeks, telling us that she's scared and there's monsters in her room mm-hmm. or whatever the case would be. So, uh, starting last week, I started doing a technique that I read in that book that you and Santosh told me about. Yep. The uh, psychic. Yeah, the art of psychic protection. protection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great book. And so, one of the techniques that they say in there is to like imagine with your third eye you're in someplace safe, see a big corridor of light. And, and step into it and then breathe it and let it surround you and all that kind of stuff. So I do that exercise with her before she goes to sleep. Since doing that, she has gotten out of bed. It's interesting. Um, it makes me want to teach you, and maybe Santosh is better because he's the one that taught me, but it's, it's a classic um, thing. It's called your sacred grove, and it's it's a mind space to go to that noth- it, is, it is impregnable. It, or it is impenetrable. I mean, it it can it is your sacred space where you can go to, and there you know there are places, things that are there that are special to you. Um, at least the way I was taught it, there's a waterfall that is always cleansing, and it'll mm-hmm. get rid of negativity and and things like that. Your guides can live there, and some things like that. And it's usually a starting point for when you go on um, guided meditations where you're walking places or going yep. places. Usually, you start in your sacred grove. Um, but that's one that I teach kids sometimes um, when I'm teaching camps and stuff and they're a little unruly. I'll lay them down and I'll essentially give them a guided meditation to discover their sacred grove. So so, so that's really the only thing that's kind of happened is that, like I said, I just, I just like made a – I mean, even I even imagined it extending below ground. Mm. Like the whole – my whole house was just surrounded in – a bubble of crystallized light. That's really, really and cool. And I slept great. How crazy would it be, like, 100 and 200 years from now, they're excavating this land and they find all these crystals under the ground? How <laughs> yeah. crazy would that be? Yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, mine, like I said, mine was just, t- I'm tired and exhausted, too. I- I've definitely dreamed a little bit because I've been dreaming about H.H. H. Holmes, but 
Um, you know, uh, yeah, not like I usually do. I've been I've been struggling with my shielding. I've been feeling vulnerable. I've been feeling out of whack, and that's messed with me. I get anxiety attacks and things like that. Those have started coming back mm-hmm. since we've come back from Point Pleasant, and I'm like, man, how much did I open myself up while we were there? Because, yeah. you know, you can have shields that have been there for years that you forget you even have. So it's like I'm taking a look at that. And so, but yeah, interesting week. Nothing like super spooky. I haven't seen any, you know, UAPs or felt any ghosts or anything like that. Just scared of the men in black. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like my phone's tapped or something. Yeah. You know, so and then of Some, course you had your crazy helicopter landing. Yeah, which you know. I talked about that yeah. last week. So. so I mean, it this is yeah all the stuff that's it and, uh, and it's probably a little bit of it is probably just us being spooked mm-hmm. and just seeing things happening that. Oh yeah, I mean, just like anything, it's like when stuff starts happening, it's when you know you're on the right track because right. you're paying attention. So um, yeah, that's my yeah. creepy ketchup. Yeah, that's mine too. So uh, let's go ahead. We're gonna take a quick ad break. And uh, when we get back from that, we're going to have a quick little sound clip where we're going to give you a little bit of information on H.H. Holmes. For those of you that don't know, we're going to share with you a little bit about that so we can jump straight into the interview with uh, Jeff Mudgett. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you in a few. Coming to you from nowhere, a suburb of parts unknown. Join Stefan and Lance, the Misters of the Dark, as they review all things horror with their latest victim. (laughs) I mean guest. (laughs) New episodes of Misters of the Dark drop Mondays on the Fearscape Media Network. Hey everyone, Josh here. Do you feel like mainstream options for things such as yoga, meditation, or documentaries and films meant to expand your mind are lacking? Have you heard of Gaia? Gaia is the largest resource of consciousness-expanding videos. Both Stefan and I have watched several of the series, documentaries, and films available on topics such as the Secret Space Program, Channeling Interdimensional Beings, and Alien Encounters. We're just now exploring the over 8,000 films, shows, and classes available to stream on your favorite devices. To get your 10-day free trial of Gaia, go to fearscapepodcast.com slash Gaia offer. Again, that's fearscapepodcast.com slash G-A-I-A offer. Herman Webster Mudgett, a.k.a. H.H. Holmes, lived in the late 1800s. He was an American swindler and confidence trickster who was widely considered to be the country's first known serial killer. He was born into a wealthy family and showed signs of high intelligence from an early age. Always interested in medicine, he allegedly trapped animals and performed surgery on them. Some accounts of his life even suggest that he may have killed a childhood playmate. Later on, he attended medical school at the University of Michigan, where he was thought to be a mediocre student. In 1886, he moved to Chicago, Illinois, and took a job as a pharmacist under the name Dr. H. H. Holmes. 
Soon afterward, he began killing people in order to steal their property. The house he built for himself, which would become known as the Murder Castle, was equipped with secret passages, trap doors, soundproof rooms, doors that could be locked from the outside, gas jets to asphyxiate victims, and a kiln to cremate the bodies. At the reputed peak of his career during the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893, he allegedly seduced and murdered a number of women typically by becoming engaged to them and then killing them after securing control of their life savings. Holmes also required his employees to carry life insurance policies, naming him as beneficiary, so that he could collect money after he killed them. He sold the bodies and skeletons of many of his victims to local medical schools, and was believed to have done so even while attending the University of Michigan years earlier. In 1893, Holmes was arrested for insurance fraud after a fire at his home, but he was soon released. He then concocted a scheme with an associate, Ben Peitzel, to defraud an insurance company by faking Peitzel's death. After Peitzel purchased a $10,000 life insurance policy, he and Holmes traveled to Colorado, Missouri, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Texas, where they committed other acts of fraud and treachery. Returning to Missouri, Holmes was arrested for fraud and briefly jailed in St. Louis. While in jail, he met Marion Hedgepeth, a career criminal who agreed to help Holmes in the insurance scheme with Peitzel. Meanwhile, Peitzel moved to Philadelphia and opened a fake patent office to swindle inventors. After his release from jail, Holmes traveled to Philadelphia and killed Peitzel. He then convinced Peitzel's widow, who had been aware of her husband's involvement in the insurance scheme, that her husband was still alive, later giving her $500 of the money he collected. Later, he became worried that some of Peitzel's five children might alert the authorities, so Holmes killed three of them. Insurance investigators were alerted to the fraud by Hedgepeth, and Holmes was arrested in Boston, Massachusetts in 1894. He was tried in Philadelphia for the murder of Peitzel and was sentenced to death by hanging. In prison, H.H. Holmes confessed to 27 murders. He later increased the total to more than 130. Holmes sold his story to the Hearst Corporation for $10,000. In his memoirs, he once said, I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer. No more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me since. While in prison, Holmes was married to multiple women with countless mistresses and unnamed children. One such wife was Clara Lovering, who went on to have children with Holmes, which led to them becoming the great-great-grandparents of our guest tonight, Jeff Mudgett. Jeff Mudgett, the direct descendant, learns that H.H. Holmes' reign of terror was worldwide and not limited to Chicago as he had so widely been believed. Based upon never-before-revealed historical facts, Jeff pieces together a dynamic and extraordinary puzzle, including the strong possibility that Herman Mudgett, a.k.a. H.H. Holmes, was also Jack the Ripper. This is all detailed in his book, Bloodstains, as well as the History Channel docuseries, American Ripper. 
All right, guys. So uh, as we said, we are here with Jeff Mudgett. This is the uh, great, great grandson of America's first serial killer and the uh, <laughs> owner of the murder castle, right. H. H. Holmes. Uh, he's also the author of an amazing book called Bloodstains uh, and the star of American Ripper on the History Channel. Jeff, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Um, I know our listeners have already been looking forward to this. We're just so thankful to have you on today. Hey, Josh and Stefan, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to uh, being your guest on Fearscape for a long time. Oh, we'd love to hear that. That's, <laughs> yeah. All right, that's what I like to hear. Um, but yeah, we, we just got some, you know, some questions, some general things, you know, that we want to discuss with you and, you know, all that jazz and just talk to you because we, we I, I mean, I'm telling you, we're like little schoolgirls yeah. over here. We're pretty excited. I, <laughs> I, even, I, even put my, uh, I even put my skirt on just for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Well, it. I tell you what, I, I expect you guys to get tough. I expect this to be a 60 minutes interview. Let it roll. Oh yeah, for for sure. I am Baba Wawa for sure. Let's <laughs> let's do this. Um, so yeah, so like we said, we know we've got your book, which like I said, I've read before. Um, I was already a pretty big fan because um, I'm a you know I've always followed uh, anything on H. H. Holmes. Been very interested in that. I learned about that probably in the early '90s um, and been kind of looking for anything that I could find. Stumbled across your book years ago, and of course, American Ripper. Um, which is a really cool concept that I'm very, very interested in talking about, um, which kind of is you trying to figure out the possibility of whether or not H.H. Holmes could actually also be Jack the Ripper, the famous serial killer from London around that same time. And so, yeah. you know, it was uh, the, the idea and my theory selling to someone like history was a shock to me you know i received a cold call about it and um to tell you the truth i was uh, just it was a uh, one of the uh, dream come trues of me having written the book in the first place and they 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 took a look at it they were open-minded about it and they let me explain my theory best that i could and then they decided to lay the cash down and we produced american ripper well, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, like I said, I I've watched it. I mean, we even you know I rewatched it here recently. My mother in law, she she loved it too, and um, so she, the whole time she's on Google, she's digging through information and trying <laughs> to find other stuff. I mean, it it inspires a really big curiosity, even when roadblocks are hit. It still inspires this this curiosity. Well, it was the whole. I think for me, it was the. Um, the following the kind of the breadcrumbs, if you will, to where does this lead and, and where can we get information about you? And then when you all first kind of uh, put together the timeline, when you went down to the uh, courthouse or whatever, and you gathered up all the records and you figured out that there was a, a blanket of time or, or a window of time that was missing for recorded history that lined up with, you know, the times in, uh, in London. I mean, it was just like, wow, something, you know, something's really going on here. So, <laughs> just you know, you know, that's, there's no doubt about that part. And when, now that I'm not in the business of selling books anymore, um, if you've watched my website, we, we pulled out the print copy. We've been selling for 10 years now. And um, I'm hoping that the world and shows like yours will give my theories more credence because I'm not trying to sell a book. I'm not trying to make a dollar on any of your listeners. I just like to change true crime history. And I think going on shows like yours and being able to explain why I know 
H.H. H. Holmes was the author of Dear Boss and the murder of Catherine right. Eddowes. I'm just hoping someone like history, maybe history themselves, will have the courage to step up and say, you know what? We, we made a mistake. That last episode was error. We'd like to do it again. Yeah. And I'm hoping they get I hope they get the courage to do that one day. I do too, because uh, I'm telling you, you know, this, I've watched a lot of documentaries and podcasts on Jack the Ripper, and I'll be honest with you, the theories and the evidence that you guys put forward made more sense to me than any of the other ones that I've seen put forward. Well, and, and even some of the, some of the responses back uh, on the show as to like, why something couldn't be the case, you know, like, like the, the handwriting between the letters. Oh yeah. Josh, you had a really good yeah. theory on this. So, you know, my, my dad is, uh, is ambidextrous and he can write with both hands and he actually, his writing style between his hands is completely different. You know, he used to write, uh, when we were little, we used to write letters to Santa and, uh, we would always get a response back on Christmas morning. Well, it turns out years later, it was my dad writing and we never recognized the handwriting because it was completely different than what his normal handwriting was. So that means it makes me wonder if, if H.H. Uh, H. Holmes was, had the similar type, you know, mechanism. You know, he could, he, you know, we're talking about probably the greatest fraud in American history. For sure. Um, a man who, if he devised a con, he could figure out a way to pull it off. And, you know, we get, I get a lot of arguments on the shows I go on and some of the other authors about how many people he actually murdered. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, no one will ever figure that number out. And it's, it's actually, I don't even like to go there because, you know, if you remember the show, we were actually even finding concrete coffins in the Chicago River, right. which... Yeah which, you know, history decided they didn't want to spend all the money to go through that, which I can, I'm a little off subject here a little bit, but which I can empathize with them guys, because when you're talking about the Chicago river, you're talking about getting permission from Chicago, from Illinois, from the yeah. Fed, <laughs> right. from the international waters, from Canada, the whole thing. And, and they just, they just balked. Oh. But uh, I can tell you, I was at a, I was at a party after the show ended uh, in Chicago in um, Rahm Emanuel, the, the, the mayor's uh, uh, chief of staff came up and goes, he goes, why didn't you guys uh, dig up the concrete coffins yes. you look at? I said, whoa, whoa. I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, I was told you guys said no. He said, we, were, we never said no. The mayor was sitting there watching the TV, hoping you guys would do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was one of my so, big questions is why did we not go after the sonar and everything? I'm yeah. like, it's right there. It's right there. <laughs> Oh, that's it's, frustrating. It's still there. It's still there. Yeah, it's just going to yeah. cost a couple of million bucks. You know? yeah. So, um, I mean, that's then a I go fund me. We need to get going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, give me some <laughs> uninflated <laughs> rubber rubber rafts and a, and a can of air tube, and I'll go down there. Just <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know who we need, guys. We need Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau, you know? yeah. yeah, or even his son. I think his son yeah. is doing the exact same thing now. But yeah, let's get him or Scuba Steve or somebody. Or what's down what's, there. what's the guy with the Titanic? Uh, uh, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt. Oh yeah, yeah. The talking big about, filmmaker uh, guy that did the Titanic oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Um, what's his name? Oh, Cameron something. Yeah, James Cameron. James Cameron, yeah. He's Louise. Yeah. We need him to go down there and make a movie about it. Yeah, or get, um, what's his name? Uh, Eli Roth, the guy that's, like, big into horror and stuff. He'd probably be down for that. Yeah. <laughs> <Rob's on. laughs> 
he'd, he'd do it. He'd do it. And then, and then on the same lines, you know, I'm sitting there in London one day and we're filming and we're taking a break. And, and I got to tell you, I'm going to, uh, uh, push history a little bit here. Those recreations they did of Jack the Ripper in the streets mm-hmm. of Whitechapel were some of the best recreations in TV history. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Oh, and the actor that played Holmes slash JTR was yes. just superb. He was yes. superb. It's to the point where, of course, since I've been immersing myself the last few weeks in all of this, when I've dreamed about Holmes in my dream, because I'm, I'm a very vivid dreamer, it's that actor's face I've been seeing yeah. now. <laughs> He's the one that's showing up in my well, dreams. I, I just, so I'm telling you, I'm up at the bar, and you know the production crew is there off, you know, doing something. And, and to be to be honest with you, the director and I had troubles getting along, and, and I think that's pretty common in TV. But it is, yeah. It was it, it was a little rough. He got along with Amaryllis just fine. Of course, she's she's a little cuter than I am, but <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so I'm sitting up there all by myself at the bar, and these two two young fellas, clean cut suits on, black tie, come up and say, "Mr. Mudgett, can we talk to you a second? And I'm like, "Well, yeah, guys. Would you like me to buy you a drink? No, we can't drink when we're on duty. I mean, what what duty are we talking about? Well, we work for Scotland Yard. And I'm like, oh, oh, I was a little bit nervous. And they said, we just want to let you know, while we don't agree with you about it being the killer H.H. Holmes, we do agree with you that there were copycats involved in the five Ripper murders and that the author of Dear Boss was a well-educated American. And they said, we've known that for decades. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that. (laughs) Wow. Um, well, one of the things I wanted to ask um, is, I, I know that even though the show's done, this was already your personal mission. And so I know that you haven't given up your search and your research. Have you made any progress since the show aired, like personally and in, in looking into more connections and stuff? Oh, we've got a, I'm on under contract right now with a group uh, trying to sell uh, bloodstains to an investment group in Houston to make a major motion picture. Oh, it needs to be, yeah. You know, obviously, we're in a great depression right now. It's a pretty tough time to get someone to invest 10, 10 million bucks. But, um, that, and, they, and to tell you the truth, guys, I'm really excited because these people understand the difference. They, they realize that The Devil in the White City is a great epic story about right. my great-great-grandfather in Chicago. Bloodstains is about a tortured young man who finds out at 40 that his, his ancestor was the evil one of all time. Yep. And, and they realize that's the way they want to take the movie. So I'm really excited about it. I'm just, I'm waiting on pins and needles to see if they sign the dotted line. Yeah, we're excited too. We know you've been making a lot of allusions on your Facebook page and stuff like that. Um, we, and I agree. This is what I told Josh. I said, one of the things that I really loved about your book uh, compared to all of the other is that it's it's part autobiographical and there's this just interest because it's not just you either you having to talk about how it affected your family your your father your grandfather like how that affected everyone it just it's what stood out to me and then you jump to these like these 
quotes and these writings um, that go against everything you were just talking about, <laughs> like about how you guys are family and all kinds of things like that. Like it's just, it's remarkable how it ebbs and flows like that. And it just, I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I grew up in an abusive home. And so, you know, I always am always curious, oh, do I have that in me? Because my dad's dad was abusive and his dad's dad and so on and so on. But to have something like that, I just, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine, Jeff. Like, I, I just, I appreciate the heck out of you um, and just the work that you're doing, you know. Because one of the questions I had down there was like, you know, do you ever feel somewhat responsible genetically? Like, you have to make up for what he did. Oh, yes. That, the answer to that is yes. And uh, I get, I get, notes from people who read the book and then after they've reviewed it they let me know that their ancestor was one of his victims oh man and that's a, that's tough that's tough and i don't to tell you the truth i still haven't figured out the right way to do it other than <laughs> you know i'm sorry uh, can yeah. i give you your money back you deserve the book for free <laughs> yeah. um and and i hope i hope this helps you you know move on i we were at a you know a signing in um, in uh, uh, Michigan, and a professor came up to me and said, uh, you know, we we've read your book, we uh, we agree with what you've said about him selling skeletons mm -hmm. to medical schools as part of his income, and uh, we just want to let you know the skeleton we have in our medical school museum, we've removed because we think it's one of Holmes's victims. Right. Wow. Yeah. Cause I know university yeah. of Michigan. Yeah. I'm from Toledo, Ohio. And so, um, you know, my, my uncle went to the university of Michigan and stuff like that, but yeah, that was a pretty common thing that happened. And it's something you always hear around that time is this grave robbing just to sell skeletons and bodies to these medical schools because they didn't have access to cadavers. Oh, I remember there was a thing uh, not too long ago even um, where you could you could sign up to donate your body for medical research after you died and they would give you like a check now for like a little bit of money and then the rest of it would go to your family when you died. Huh. I'll sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds all right. Sounds all right to me. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty remarkable. Um, that that you know, because I I think I had mentioned to you in an email. I just finished listening to the Happy Face um, podcast where it talks about the daughter of the Happy Face killer, and she struggles, you know, being one generation away um, with wondering if 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 she had that in her. And that's one of her missions is that she actually uh, she did a show called Monster in My Family where she helps other serial killers. Um, family members and kids and stuff kind of deal with that trauma. But one of the things is, is she met during the show, uh, her father's last victim's son. And they actually met and it was an incredible episode, <laughs> man. Let me tell you, I mean, it's, you know, having to be one generation away from yeah. that. And she bears that full responsibility. And, uh, that's why it, it really made me, wanted to know if you felt that responsibility too so i appreciate you sharing that with us you know probably the tightest connection i ever had was when you know we went back to uh, new hampshire and i and i went through the, the home that he was raised right. in right the church that he attended and then the schoolyard that he taught elementary school at and and that schoolyard was spooky to to say the least that was the most 
Oh, I uh, left barely able to breathe out of that room, imagining that horrible man there with those small children. So, jeez, jeez, I can't. Yeah, I can't even imagine. What just was he? What was he thinking? What I was he thinking? I have no idea. Again, just the way you guys presented it too. Like, I just kept waiting for like you guys to say there were reports of him just constantly physically um, punishing the students at all times. And well, especially because like in the in the in the depiction in the show. You know, he's the guy, the, the, you know, the actors walk around with like a switch and I'm like, oh, you know, here, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic school and trust me, I took some uh, meter stick. Those, uh, what are those called? Those, the ruler, the, but the big three meter ones, I caught oh. those to the knuckles many a times from it's a yardstick. Yardstick. Thank you. That's, <laughs> that's what it's called here in America. And it's not three uh, meters. It's three feet. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Well, I do. I'm an know, actor. Back when. Back when I grew up, we had a we had a stick hanging up on the refrigerator, and it was called the boss. And my uh, dad would tell you to go get to go get to get him the boss. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. that's extra scary, Jeff. Because dear boss, yeah, really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the boss. Yeah. Wow, it was not Bruce Springsteen, that's for sure. No, that's right. Um, one of the other questions. This is the when I was watching the show. This is the whole time the last episode. This is what I was wondering, how, I know you were going through so many emotions and you could see it, but it was like, what was it like coming face to face with H.H. Holmes's bones when you finally got there? Because I know it was double fold because you were, you know, wondering if he was even going to be in there, but then to actually see it, to see this famous serial killer as well as your family member, like, I just can't imagine what that was like. Well, you know, I, you know, and I know we, we've talked about this, but it's, you know, it's my theory that that wasn't him. Yeah. When the, what we exhumed was not Holmes. That was the substitute because, um, and this is one of the uh, uh, matters that I'm hoping history will come clean with one day. Um, we know the DNA didn't match. We know the skeleton didn't match. We know that the dental records were fraudulent. And we know that there was no trauma to the neck from hanging. And, you know, I, I can I could take this to a court of law, take my old career up, guys. Yeah. In front of a jury, in front of a jury. And I could win this. It's I wouldn't be making up anything. This is forensic science. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that DNA didn't match. I was there when King's College told me on the phone it didn't match. Hmm. And what happened in the meantime was is one of those things when you ask me what we can and cannot talk about, this is getting real close to getting me in a lot of trouble. But <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, that DNA didn't match. Mm. And um, one someday, someone in cable television, Smithsonian, National Geographic, somebody's going to give me the chance to, to demonstrate that it doesn't match to America. And we'll, we'll be able to take the next step forward, guys, when we prove that it wasn't him in the grave, then we'll go backwards to prove how he escaped execution, yes, what, he went, went, what he went on to do. And I'll tell you this right now. My father and I have a picture of my grandfather and his brother over a grave in San Diego that we know is the real Holmes. Oh, so it's, so we're very close to some uh, incredible material. Um, man, I'm so excited. I'm so glad like yeah, to just, be a part of this with you and to be able to follow yeah. this because it's it's I, so exciting. I just got a little cold chill when you're talking. I know, about- <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, Absolutely phenomenal. Um, oh, the man, the man, lived, the man lived 99 years. 
Jesus. And, and, you know, and I love that because, you know, the thing that you guys referenced two or three times was that, that eyewitness sighting of seeing the same man 25 years later, you know, and it's like, you don't forget a face like that. Yeah. Especially the way you always talk about his piercing blue eyes and things like that and how, you know, he catches your gaze, like almost like hypnotic and, and things like that. It's like, you'd know when that happens again. And, you know, when, when we dug him up and we had the great, the bones at the university of Pennsylvania down in the lab. And it was still, I was still at a point where, you know, I had my theories, but I, you know, all the scientists were, were telling me I was crazy. They were all saying it was Holmes. Hey, yeah. History was saying it was Holmes. Hey, yeah. You know, they just wanted to move on. So we were there one day and I snuck off down to the lab when no one was watching. Because I remembered that scene in Hamlet, you know, where uh, yes, where the uh, where the FLO holds the skull of his uh, of his uh, father or whoever who who was the one that held the skull of his father? Some Shakespeare character. It was uh, and, yeah, it was Hamlet, and he held up um, Yorick. Yorick, okay, yeah. excellent, well done. And um, <laughs> I'm an actor, <laughs> so, so I I snuck down there. I snuck down there, and because I thought about this for years and I grabbed the skull held it in my hand and stared into those big sockets mm. expecting some paranormal experience some proof of life after death some some something huge to come happen of it and I got nothing I got nothing except when the scientists burst in the room seeing me holding it screaming that I'd ruined the DNA test forever grabbing it in my hand and and they were very upset about that until King's College showed them how it didn't make any difference. But anyway, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. And but that holding that skull, staring into those sockets, it was a zero. Wow. Whew. Yeah, that would that would be frightening to me. <laughs> you know, especially thinking we don't even know where he was, you know, which, which this then, and I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to add this kind of a two-parter here is because we talk about the Holmes curse, right? That that's that whole idea of the Holmes curse, which really perpetuates this idea that he continues. Oh boy. Oh, boy. Right. As well as the other Ripper style murders and things yeah. like that. But the other thing that really is interesting to me is that we know that Holmes had three wives and, but he, we also know he had many, many, lovers with some saying he sired at least around 25 kids so my question to you is is have you found any of the other direct descendants through research or dna tests yet and did they know about the connection not one no zero i haven't had really? anyone like that i haven't anyone like that contact me all these years yeah wait to make a lot of money yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, separate, you know, uh, it's, I just found a, a long lost sister that I had. So it's, a, you know, it's one of those things that I'm always curious about, you know, especially with him having so many kids out there. Yeah. It seems that the only like real direct line that we know is his first wife's uh, line, which is your line. So, well, he, uh, my description of his opportunity to murder his first wife, my great-great-grandmother, is in the book, is, is, is very accurate. He had the chance. He'd never, he never wanted to hurt her. He actually needed her help numerous times. We, we have 
a copy of her diaries that uh, demonstrated her going to visit him while he was at Moyamensing prison awaiting execution. Yeah, I saw, I saw. And then, and then making a trip and then making a trip back to Chicago with what I know was financial business. Hmm. She was going to take money out of his bank account. For sure, because, yeah, she would be the oh, one yeah. that was legally married. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, there was something going on there, and I think it had to do with the money he needed for his substitution and escape. Oh, man, that's crazy. Makes, you know, it's something something that always, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, that bothered me, I don't know the right word, but it, it seems like, um, I mean, was, was all of the murdering, was all of the killing simply for money? Or was there like a, a type in, you know, I'm saying like, like, was he wronged by a woman who looked a certain way early in his life, which caused him to seek out that type of woman for his victim? Or even like a morbid curiosity from yeah. the way I kind of felt about it, just that wanting to dissect. Yeah. You know, that. That would be tough to do, but we know he did it for money. We know that's there right, now. Of course, whether he whether he enjoyed the torture, whether he enjoyed the killing, whether he enjoyed inflicting the pain, that that would be something you guys would need to get H. H. Holmes on your show to ask. <laughs> well, we do have a couple mediums that yeah. we've had come on the show, um, but no. Speaking of that, I mean, it's like one of the quotes that I made sure to write down because it's like this. This stands out to me more than anything in your book is where you say um, that even more to the point was a vivid piece of evidence I found concerning how best to characterize Holmes. These words were from a sentence written by the man himself in which he says, for one month and six days thereafter, I took no human life. The duration left me needy. I mean, that every time I read that, Jeff just sends chills down my spine. And that, to me, is someone who gets off on it. Yeah. You know, you know I'm glad you brought that up. Because let me ask you guys something. Have you ever, you know, reading Hitler, reading any right. of those the, the terrible people in our, in our histories, have you ever read a more horrible sentence than that? No. No. No, even, and I listen to a lot of true crime, and even then, a lot of those guys, they, they, they have, they, you know, they make up excuses, you know, where they say just things, oh, she pissed me off, or, oh, God, I was doing this in, in honor of God. Yeah. This, Holmes just seemed to relish in it, yeah. in, in, a, in a very sane kind of way, which is really creepy. Yeah, just a creepy you, got, you, you guys... You guys got me juiced up now. Now I'm just thinking, where is Alfred Hitchcock to pull that scene oh, off when you need God, him? yes. Where wow. is Hitchcock, man? For sure. Oh, I would have loved yeah. to that. <laughs> Instead of all the William Castles that are, <laughs> are, are going to get it and sensationalize it. Oh. You, know what's, you know what's funny, too, that uh, I'm, I'm quizzed out about now, too, is there was a time when Leonardo DiCaprio thought the H.H. H. Holmes role was the I, one he'd waited for his whole career, and then he just bailed out on it. Yeah, I recall that. Um, I recall reading about that because, like I said, been a been a follower of Holmes stuff for a long time, and I've always been surprised there wasn't more um, movies or, or yeah. things like that out there because it's it's and and, and the, which makes me mad when people don't even know who he is. I'm right. like, how do you not? I mean, not just the murders alone, and then you just throw in the murder castle, like. Right. <laughs> Maybe it's good. Oh, what a what a what a what a show that would be! They're supposed to be finishing a series with Hulu about the Devil in the White City. 
Yeah, I think I read something about that recently. But yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. And uh, a show, man, I every every show is him murdering a new person. Like that that would do so well on Shutter <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And then and then the world the World's Fair with 20 million people's right down yes. the road. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you know, because that here we're in Louisville, Kentucky, and you know we had a big World's Fair here right downtown, and uh, it was actually Edison instead of Tesla that was here. But yeah, there were murders and stuff that happened then that I read about in doing research. That of course the cops were also trying to cover because they didn't want people to to freak right. out. And so I was very interested in seeing you know all the stuff about the suicides and and stuff like that. And I'm like, how do you cut your own throat from ear to ear and have that happen a lot? Like that's the popular form of suicide suicide right exactly you got me i don't know yeah and it, it, it's sad because it also means that they put less work into those things things that years later with you know proper records and things like that could have continued to help out yeah so it's kind of sad it is um but you know a lot of those things then back in that time well number one policing you know as as like the show talks about even is you know policing is wasn't like Forensics wasn't a thing. Oh and, no! Just you know, we, grab ass and everything. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know um, it wasn't like, "Hey, Carson, don't step there." You know, we, like, it was, you know, it was like, "Hey, you stepped on that blood. Can you give me my piece of paper? You just stepped on right. as well." <laughs> well, do you remember during the show when Amaryllis uh, and Ray Johnson went down through the city archives and they found out that during the fair there was at least five hundred yes. young women that went missing. Yep. And, and man, w- everything that we know about the murder castle and the way he was able to dispose of bodies, like, it, oh, yeah, yeah. I, the, and God, I wish you guys were able to excavate that <laughs> next to yeah. the post office. I was so you mad. Know, that, what my plans on that are, and I'm, I'm I need some uh, legal help from a, from a federal attorney in Washington, DC, maybe somebody watching your guy's show, listening to your show, mm-hmm. but we need, uh, I'm convinced that there are statutes which would require the feds to allow an excavation of that property based on the fact that there are no statute of limitations on those murders. Right. And it just takes a little work. It'll take a little work, but I'll need someone like history or somebody financially backing me up on it. Right. Eli Roth. I'm looking at you again, Rob Zombie. <laughs> but yeah, it's like that, that I, you guys said it perfectly. It's like, if this was a murder that had happened this year, there's oh. no way this would have, there wouldn't even had a, had a chance to turn right. down. And just cause it's, it's over a hundred years old doesn't mean that it's still not a case that needs to be solved. So I, I was pretty upset by that. How many, how, let me ask you guys this. How many? We had our last episode, we had 1.4 million viewers in America. Okay. We had as many in, in the UK. Right. How many people would watch the excavation of the murder castle on TV? I'm telling you right now, I would watch a 24 yeah. hour live feed yeah. of it on <laughs> Facebook. You can set up a camera where there's just nothing, like, there's nothing happening. It's like, look, I can't across the day. And, and in Chicago, there's some of the greatest archaeologists, anthropologists yep. living. They they would make their career on it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely would. I yeah. With, I the, F, with the FBI with the FBI nosing around us, making sure we were doing it right. Oh, yep. God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it would <clears throat> for sure. I mean, it would. Uh, people would tune in just to see what the results are going to be. Uh, and I think they they would probably watch along the way. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like you could watch a live. I would pay twelve dollars <laughs> to watch, watch a, a live, live feed, feed. of yeah. this because I am. I'm interested in archaeology. I'm interested in true right. crime. All of that kind of like satisfies a lot of interest for me just to watch a live feed of them digging. Like, yeah. I mean, that I was so interested just watching exco, you know, getting, yeah. exhuming the body. Right, like right. every time I was like, oh yeah, what's in the, oh yeah, oh there's another one. <laughs> right. You know, and, and guys, I'm, I'm kind of pulling this out of my tail end, but when the federal government bought that property and they tore down the murder castle, mm-hmm. they, you know, they built the post office. It's not over directly over the top. It kind of uh, juxtaposes right. the boundaries a little bit. Right. So when they bought that, they, they tore down the murder castle. I know they didn't even look two feet down. They just filled that up and planted those two trees over there. For sure. It's just, it's just ripe for the taking all that evidence, which might also include evidence of Jack the Ripper. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's why I want to. That's what I want to see it for too, as well. I mean, because that is something they do. They it, the cheaper the better. You know, whatever they can do to right. just move on. Which kind of brings me to another question, which is, uh, you posted on Facebook a while back um, a brick wall down uh, under <laughs> underneath the post office, and I'm I'm curious as what you think is is on the other side of that when you know i've been down in that basement twice the first time i wrote about it in chapter 27 in bloodstains and that much of bloodstains uh there were gaps that i filled with my imagination that's why i called it fiction based on a true story right that chapter 27 was completely true and it had to do with something that I'd never experienced before in my life. I'd never, I'd never believed in the paranormal. I'd never believed in the supernatural or a life after death. So when we went down those stairs, you know, the, the custodian with us at the post office, the other employees wouldn't go with us. They thought it was haunted. They had, uh, <laughs> they had jammed, they had barricaded the door. Oh yeah. And, the custodian that went down with this really brave guy lives right down there in Englewood in Chicago. You know, there's a murder every five minutes down there. Yep. And it's, uh, he went with us with Kim and I, my, uh, my, my, one of my best friends who, uh, he's an Emmy award winning actor now. Hmm. So he actually did the narrative, uh, when we did the, um, audio book, he, he did the reading for it. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, so we when we went down there, I started having these feelings and these sounds in my head. I didn't see anything, but I had these sounds. And it didn't like that Kim was there in the basement with me. Hmm. And I tried to write about it in Chapter 27, how it wanted me to do something to him. Yeah. So I'm walking, around, I'm walking around in that basement, and all of a sudden on the wall there, and I took the picture and I showed it on Facebook, like you say, about three or four postings ago. Yep. There's a, a human door size cutout in that wall that you could tell someone wanted to go through the main wall, the boundary of the post office basement. They knew what was on the other side. They wanted to go through it to get what they knew what was on the other side. And then they patched it up so that no one would know they had been there. And I tried to get history to help me with that. And, and they gave up on the post office. The post office got kind of snooty about it and wanted uh, a little bit of money for them to go down there. And it, it got funny. But the, uh, the, there, that hole in that wall, guys, the man with knowledge knew what was on the other side. And, you know, the way my mind works, 
uh, I know it was gold or something like that. There was something on that other side that, that some man that had worked down there before wanted back. Yeah. And I can only imagine what it's going to look like on that other side of that wall once you, you open that back up. It's Shangri-La, man. <laughs> I can't even you know, it, imagine. It just it feels like, you know, all like Indiana Jones yeah, or uh, oh, National Nicholas Page. Nicholas yeah, Page. National yeah. Treasure. I mean, yeah, especially yeah. I mean, even the, you know, in, in the exhumation, in the exhumation, is that the right word? Exhumation. Exhumation. There you go. <laughs> I'm just going to make up words. Uh, in that episode, I even expected to get down to that second casket and crack mm-hmm. it open and just be full of, like gold and gems and all yeah, kinds of stuff. Because like, obviously, you know, it, you know, he, as a grave robber himself, whether it's, a, um, you know, not him or not, it's like. I still feel like he was like, I got to make it look like I'd be afraid, you know, that people would try to right, rob my grave. Right. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, sprinkle a couple you. gold coins in there. <laughs> that, that, that exhumation and history did a, a wonderful job with that because um, uh, to tell you the truth, I, I hadn't misled them, but I'd given them some information which turned out to be wrong. I told them that it would probably cost us about a hundred grand to exhume that grave. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time the engineers had this boundary up the wall so they wouldn't collapse with other graves cascading right. in on us, it was a million bucks. Wow. And, 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 and poor history had spent a lot of money with the scientists and everything. And, and they continued it to the end. They went right through yeah. to the end. And I got to hand that to them. But I'll tell you, it was one of the most humiliating aspects of my life, guys. So we're sitting there, and, and we got the fake coffin on the one side, which no one has figured out yet. Mm-hmm. Then we went, then we dug, Amarillo's talked us into dug, digging down next to us, and two feet deep, we found the, the concrete sarcophagus, okay? Right. And, and this, you should have seen the University of Pennsylvania anthropologists, these scientists, these gals were running around like uh, kids at Christmas. Oh, they were man. so excited, you know? Oh, they were excited. And we opened the concrete up, and the smell was oh. killing trees around us. Oh man! It was so bad. It was so bad, and there were still there were still human particles that hadn't decomposed. Oh, and then mixed with stagnant water, like oh. yeah. Oh, it was ter- and and there and this one anthropologist, she's down there working away, and and the director, this uh, Mark Lopez, and like I said, he and I hadn't got along very well. And he goes, "Hey, Mudge, we're on a great scene, great shot. Now I need you to get down there and dig with them." And I said, "I'm not going." <laughs> no way, no way. He, I said, "I said you smell when it's like you go down there." He goes, "No, I'm the director. I don't need to go down there." And uh, so and so, you know who steps up to the plate, raises their hand, and then jumps down and starts digging away like. Like a dog in a, a strawberry field. Yep. Amarillo's the CIA yep. agent. Yep. yep. She was tough. She was tough as nails. She, she yeah. made me look like a. She made me look like a total sissy. <laughs> She's hardcore, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh. You know how many people? You know how many people I get tell me they just loved her on the show. They all. Oh loved yeah, her. I, I loved her, but I mean, I really loved your relationship together. That yeah. that was one thing that really sold the doc for me as well was just the relationship between you two and these moments where you would surprise one another and get each other on your side for something was just beautiful yeah. every time it happened. You know. <laughs> I'll have to tell her you said that. You know, she married uh, a Kennedy. Yeah, the third, uh, John Kennedy the third. Yeah, I saw that. I have pictures of her in her wedding dress at Hyannisport on the grass getting married barefoot. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, I, I, I hope that you guys end up getting to work together again because I thought you guys made one hell of a team. And yeah. I, I know that's also the way TV makes it too, but you guys just looked like you had a natural yeah. chemistry. Uh, we're still buddies. Yeah, and we got along really good. You're right. Yeah, she she was fantastic, and I think you know, like I said, the two of you guys together was was absolutely phenomenal. Um, one of the things I wanted to jump to again was something you guys lightly discussed in one episode, which was uh, Murder Castle Number Two in Texas. Um, uh, that I had never heard of. That uh, you know, rarely, um, and things like that. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that, but I also want to discuss is, is do you think he had other ones as well hidden around the country, and that maybe some are still standing and maybe haven't been discovered because they're hidden behind things or in a uh, cement covered basement or something oh yeah i'm convinced he has one in port costa california on the sacramento river oh yes there's there's a little old hotel there that i'm convinced he had a a part in it at one point i haven't proved it yet right um as far as what he did afterwards he never made a silly mistake like he did with that that fellow inmate in St. Louis, where he he said too much, and the guy sold what he knew to the uh, to the prosecutor, and that's how they caught Holmes. Right. Remember that? Yeah. Uh-huh. He never did. He never did that again. And uh, I think he realized how foolish that had been. So, um, uh, as far as having another murder castle, as far as having a, a place where books could be written about it, uh, because of knowledge on Google, I doubt it. Yeah. I doubt it, but uh, my my big my big I I don't know, guys. It took me three months to talk my entire family into the exhumation. Oh, the judge in uh, the judge I'm in wondering. Pennsylvania. May, may, I had to have each family member sign off on. Yeah, mm. I yeah I wondered. And he that. said if one if one says no, that's a veto. And I got I got them to do it. As far as getting them to do it again, I doubt. It. I doubt. Yeah. Now, yeah. who all was was that? Just immediate family, or literally anyone that shared blood? Uh, anyone in my immediate, and then my uncle's kids and grandkids too. Yeah. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Very, very interesting. It makes me wonder, and you know, and I, I hate this for you because, like I said, this part of the book I always understood is that you know children are are meant to only speak when spoken to. That was the way my household was, and things like that. My grandfather was a very silent man. I mean, we didn't talk a whole lot, and it's like he, his grandmother was the wife of Holmes and it's like God I wonder if he knew you know what he knew as a kid did she talk about it all of those things and it's sad that we can't ask Bert that stuff you know oh you know and uh, there's a I'm glad you brought that up because I just got I was just contacted as a matter of fact I'm supposed to be writing about this this weekend there's a university in uh, New York doing a uh, uh, class on Holmes mm-hmm. and one of the one of the students and the professor are working on the differences between the Devil in the White City and and Bloodstains and and they and they tried to get me to to explain right. what I was trying to write and I and I got to you know I got to explain how listen obviously it's the tale of this terrible serial killer but the story is about my grandfather and I and how this man, this man wouldn't even talk to me and he wouldn't, and it, and it affected me my entire life, guys. He wouldn't take me fishing 
when he used to go off fishing on the weekends and he knew that's what I lived for. And imagine your grandfather not doing that with something you love. Love that you shared. Yeah, my, my father told me a story, same thing. It's like his, cause uh, his father and my grandmother split up um, probably after like six or seven years after marriage. And uh, so they all hated, my, my grandmother's side hated my dad's dad. And my dad um, ran out of some hard luck and everything like that. And so he went and talked to his grandfather was, you know, hey, I wanna borrow some money. I've got this business idea. I wanna do this stuff. And my great grandfather legit told him, sorry, Tom, I can't do this because every time I see you, all I see is your dad and it makes me sick. Mm. And, and that explained why he never had a relationship wow. with his grandfather father everything because yeah my dad looks identical to his dad and that's exactly what his great grandfather told or his grandfather well, told. exactly and and guys what i picture and what i tried to what i tried to portray that last that last three or four pages in the book was yeah this man this man out fly fishing okay by himself solitary with what was going through that mind of his, him being the only one that had known about this horrible monster right. in his life and had kept it a secret from the entire family. My father didn't know about it until that dinner party. Oh, wow. And, and, and that man fly fishing. And what was going through his mind? What was going through his mind that scared him to death? Yeah. The things that probably all men have go through their minds, guys. But he had a tag. He had that 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 nameplate H. H. Holmes stuck in his head. Mm -hmm. Especially, and he didn't want to be. He didn't want to be anything like that. Yeah, especially yeah. if he felt himself get, you know, like you talk about how he would get angry and messed up. So he would be like, I'm out. And he would go fishing for a couple of days and, you know, come back and not even talk about it and things like that. But it's like, yeah, I can't even imagine how much that affected his life. If that's why he stayed quiet, because he was so afraid that he would be like that. Because I'm yeah. sure he heard so much from his father, you know. Like, oh, yeah. Because, oh, yeah. you know, a kid of H.H. H. Holmes is definitely oh, yeah. going to talk about it. You know, so, God, he – who only knows what his dad went through and, right, and I just exactly. can't imagine. And then having a single mom, you know, like, because, you know, Holmes wasn't around. It's like there's just so much trauma that gets carried from generation to generation. And well, and then like that post I tried to, to, to uh, explain to the world the other day about how my father and I and my oh, grandfather yeah, hadn't followed <laughs> Now, now, what what if my grandfather, guys, being that two generations closer, had actually felt some of those Holmes right. characteristics? Yeah, that would be frightening. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And especially, yeah. you know, if you're not someone, let's, you know, because, you know, we look at Holmes maybe having some issues when he was a kid or things like that, you know, but it's like, here's a kid that maybe had a decent childhood but feels those things and and yeah it scares the hell oh i can't even yeah that, yeah i can't imagine like i said my own personal trauma is nothing compared to what that's got to feel like so just it's remarkable man and and th that's why i had said earlier that you know it's 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 amazing to hear how how well adjusted you are like even <laughs> i don't know if i heard something like that it would really it would it would be in my head all the time but it, it, it makes me wonder, you know, how, how is the, the rest of your family, you know, how do they do with the more and more you uncover? 
my father's fine with it. My mother will be my mother no matter what I go through or, or endure. Okay, my mother's just the, the mother everyone wants. That's what mothers do, yeah. Uh, some of the other members of my family, uh, Josh, uh, won't talk to me at all. Mm. Wow. That's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that is unfortunate. But, I, uh, yeah, and that, that is. That's the way it is. It's like you, you either got people that embrace it and try to do something with it or people that want to just act like it never happened. It never happened, yeah. 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 I'll uh, tell you what, though. I, when I did my TED Talk, my daughter went with me, okay, and it mm-hmm. was in Vancouver, uh, in Vancouver, Canada. It was about comparing the handwriting of the dear boss and the Holmes correspondence right. and, and the, and the Ted guys were just fascinated with this stuff. And, and they'd actually, they actually wanted me to be the first ever to um, take a poll of the audience after they'd handed out these little electronic pickers. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. And we had 25, we had 2,500 people there in this gorgeous auditorium. And my daughter at that time, she was attending the UW um, she was, you know, she was in history, English, the literature, the whole thing. She, so she was way out there, much smarter than I was. And she attended the talk with me, but she sat up in the back corner. I can remember standing up on stage and the, and the, for some reason, one of the guys with the light shined it back there because he knew who she was. And I saw her during my talk. You only get 18, you only get 18 minutes. So you yeah. gotta make it quick. Yeah. So so, and she was so embarrassed of what I was talking about oh, that that wow. was the speech she had taken. But when I was finished and the audience lit up and voted 77% that they believed my theory. Wow. Hmm. She ran down and there were some three or four news channels there from the Canadian TV stations. And they were interviewing me about Holmes being, the Canadians are more fascinated with Jack the Ripper than Americans are. Well, cause they're still connected to England. Yeah. And they were asking me about my theory, about the evidence, about where they could go at the University of Buffalo to verify my facts. So I was giving them. And then right next to me was my daughter. And I'll never forget how she had that, that embarrassment had turned to pride in those 18 minutes. And that, that was one of the best, best, wow. best moments of my life. Best yeah, that's pretty much my wife with me most of the time, but not for that reason, but because <laughs> she's just an introverted person and I am not. So, but then she usually ends up, you know, prideful because I'm doing an improv show or something. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as, as a father of, uh, of two girls, it, you know, I, I hope that one day I can do something that, that they're beaming with pride to stay mm-hmm. next to me for. So, yeah. Um, so I want to move just quickly and talk a little bit about Jack the Ripper again here, because something that, um, uh, that I haven't really seen discussed in, uh, that I see come up a lot in Jack the Ripper, uh, theories and documentaries is this idea that he was more than likely a Freemason. Now, have you discovered any, uh, possible connections to Holmes possibly being a Mason at all? I mean, with his high status in medical school and stuff like that, he'd be a perfect candidate. So. Uh, you know, I've been seeing a lot of stuff written about that. I know um, my grandfather was way up in the Freemasons. Um, I wouldn't surprise me if Holmes had some connection with them, but I haven't uh, been able to verify that. Um, but I, but I understand that there are a couple of groups out there. That's where they're going with their theories yeah. about the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is definitely something I'm seeing a lot more as this idea of the Freemason and, you know, some of that getting deeper into the <laughs> conspiracy theories yeah. about Freemasons and stuff like that. But yeah, just, it was just something I was curious about if that had come across in any research or not. 
Well, you know, my, my grandfather was a Freemason. My dad was a Freemason. Um, and I think a lot of times that they, people joined Masonry just to, it was like the Facebook of its time, you know, before the internet. Yeah, I was, just joined the Moose Lodge, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it was to meet people, it was to get, get involved. and do. So I, I don't think that everybody who's in the Masonry is there to further the conspiracy. Oh, no, not, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> so... Though, I mean, what if they were, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Jeff, thank you so much, man. I think we're kind of getting a little close on time. Um, But I just, again, I wanted to thank you so much for just sharing all the information you've shared with us and just just continuing to chat with us on email and stuff like that. We we love it. I'll I'll talk to you anytime about this stuff. Well, no, I, and you know what, guys, this has been a lot of fun. We've, uh, we're like three guys sitting at a bar enjoying beers together. It's a lot oh, yeah, of fun, that's, man. That's how we roll, man. That's how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> we like to talk. Well, I, let me tell you, there's a lot of shows that aren't like that at all. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> this, this has been a lot of fun. And but what, before we uh, part, I wanted to let you know that there's something that I'm working on now that now that, like I say, I'm not selling books and, right. and no one can throw that on me. Um, I'm trying to get permission from the post office to go back down into the basement. I'm going to gather up a team of uh, paranormalists, the professionals, technicians, because I'm convinced, guys, and there's been many, many people who've said this over the years, that when and if the paranormal is ever proven, if a life after death, if an energy is proven, it's going to be in that basement, okay? Oh, I agree. I, I know what I felt down there that I described in Chapter 27 of Bloodstains. I know what's there, and I didn't believe it before. It wasn't like I needed to prove it to anyone. I felt it, and I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to go back down there. And I'm going to have the professionals go with me because for some reason I'm like a bait to it or, or something mm-hmm. because You're, of the relationships, all, yeah, all those things. Yeah. I, I was going to say, and I'm telling you, I'm I'm convinced if we get it to happen again and we record it by the professionals, it's going to change life as we know it for the entire world. I, I you know what, Jeff? I'll tell you what the the path and the journey that we've been on just from doing the show uh, and things like that have led us to believe along the same lines of those things. I mean, I've had my own supernatural experiences throughout the years and things like that, but I 100% believe you, you know, there is a lot of theory that, yeah, they, that blood is an attractant, you know, in terms of familial blood is an attractant to any spirits that are around there. They, they are, it's like they can sense it, that it's, it's, that it's theirs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why we get a lot of haunts and things like that tend to happen a lot more when it is a family member uh, and things like that. I'll tell you what, man, like I said, you put a damn live cam, I will watch every bit of that. I, I may get one of you guys to go down with us. Hey, do it. We're yeah. just uh, we're just five and six a half hours, hours away. six hours away yeah. from Chicago. So, <laughs> all right, all about it, man. I I go to I'm a, I do improv comedy, so I'm in Chicago four or five times a year. So, love that place. Yep. But yeah, have you guys been out? To, have you guys been out to Sixth and Third and Wallace? I have. Yeah, I've been out. Well, I went out there years ago. Um, 
uh, before I really knew it was going to be out there. And so, of course, you get out there and you're like, well, this is disappointing. Um, but <laughs> now it's, it's a little bit different now that I've gotten older and I've read a lot more and things like that. I haven't been out in a couple of years, but like just talking to you and getting back into all of this, like my next trip to Chicago, it's exactly where I want to go. So, yeah. It's it's just yeah, I, and and also as someone now who is very uh, connected to that spiritual plane myself, my sister is a medium and some things like that. It's like now I want to see if I can feel anything, can feel anything. if I can pick yeah. anything up, um, and just you know see if I pick up a vibe, you know, because when I went there, I was in college, <laughs> I was you know just all over the place, so. So Jeff, is there, uh, you want to let everybody listening know, you know, where can, where can they find more information about you? Where can they pick up a book? Where can they follow you to make sure that they stay abreast of what's going on? Well, you know, you can go to bloodstainsthebook.com. That's our website. Um, uh, as far as like an e, you, they can have an ebook, they can go on Kindle if they want, but, uh, or as I can get them a special edition, a signed copy if they'd like, but we don't sell books anymore. Like we, we have for 10 years now. Yeah. And, um, but then, you know, the bloodstains Facebook page is where I put my new things up. And when, you know, I get word from Hollywood that there's going to be a major motion picture, that'll be where it's at the first day I find out. So that's a great, if you want to keep up on Holmes and you want to keep up on the murder castle and Jack the Ripper and the connection, that's the place to be that, that bloodstains Facebook page. Yeah. We will absolutely share both yeah. of those. Cause I, I like we said, we love following that page. It's it, yeah, it's a blast. And I, I love cause you're, you're the ever living tease and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you're always like quench like just like, okay. All right. I didn't, I've never thought of myself. I never thought of myself like that. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you always like you'll just drop little. My brother is the king of this stuff. He'll drop, he'll sprinkle just a little bit to make you go, oh, what more is there? <laughs> I love it. It takes a very special personality to do that, and I, I, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. So you, so you figured me out, darn it. Oh yeah, you're my brother, man. <laughs> all right. He's been getting me all my whole life. <laughs> But Jeff, again, thank you so much, man. This has been an absolute pleasure, man. We anytime if you know if you're wanting to get out and promote something, let us know. We yep. would, I mean, we will push somebody off the schedule to have you back on because yep. this has just been an absolute just blast. I've, I've loved everything. <laughs> well, Josh and Stefan, thanks for having me on today. If your escape has been a blast, I've done hundreds of these shows over the years, and I got to tell you, this is probably the most fun I've ever had. Great. That, Great. Like we said, that's what we like to do. Yep. You know, we're, we both like having fun, but we also like talking about the, the stuff too and taking it seriously while still having fun, man. That's, yeah. that's the whole point. It's so. more of, you know, like, we, like, we, like I said, we like to treat it like a conversation. It's not really an interview. It's just three guys having a conversation. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks yep. again, Jeff. Yeah. Hit us up. If you need anything from us, we'll, we'll be there in a heartbeat. All right. Thanks guys. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Take it easy, Jeff. Have a good one, man. Bye. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a phenomenal guy and a phenomenal yeah. interview. Like, I mean, I, again, I, I don't know how many times I can say it. It's just like everybody who comes on the show. It's a great experience. Mm -hmm. It really is. You know, and they say that it's a great experience with us. But no, I mean, it's a great experience for us, us with yeah. them, um, especially like Jeff said. I mean, I feel like we've three guys that went to school together. Right. Like, I mean, it's <laughs> like, really, right. We just met up, you know, when. 
had a beer or whatever. This yeah. Is, yeah, it's great. So, yeah, very, very excited about that. I hope you guys, you know, uh, follow him on the Bloodstains Facebook page. Uh, and, of course, you know, if you haven't seen it already, we'll be sharing that on the Fearscape Media Network uh, group page uh, as well as the uh, Fearscape Paranormal Podcast, which quickly reminds me, um, if you haven't done this yet, we're really, really, of course, trying to do some expansions and some things like that. Um, and we're really w- hoping that you guys can get out there. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or anything like that, to just do a quick review, um, you know, uh, even just a sentence really helps kind of let Apple Podcasts and them know that uh, you're listening and that because right. um, we're, we're getting out there, we're pushing things. But, yeah, we'd love for you guys to like, review and, um, you know, subscribe or share or whatever it is that you're doing or need to do or even just word of mouth yeah telling people or just sharing the podcast all those things really help as well as you know we've got the fearscape media network um and we've got my other show misters of the dark that's out there and we're trying to get some footing for that so you know if you've got friends that like horror and stuff like that share the podcast with them uh also if you're not a part of our fearscape media network um facebook group page we made it a group page uh, you can find that. Just type in Fearscape Media Network and then just um, click the uh, join yep. on there. We don't usually turn anybody down. so No, I mean, as long as you play nice, uh, you're welcome to have the fun. But yeah, it's a, it's a good place to talk about all the podcasts or the YouTube shows that we've got, um, as well as people share their paranormal experiences on there. Stories. Stories, UFO sightings, pictures, or news, horror news, or paranormal news. It's just a mo- hodgepodge yeah. of awesomeness, man. Yeah. And all of the people on there are just having a great time. And uh, I love party. getting on. Yeah, it is a pool party. I love it. It's a pizza party, man. I love getting <laughs> on there. Um, but yeah, you can check all that out, you know, um, or you can just go to Fearscape Media dot com um and get on there to check out the other podcasts that we have and all that stuff but like i said listener stories is where it's at people since we started this group have been putting stories down left and right and i am so happy um because you know it's hard to solicit them via email Um, we don't always get them via email we tend to get a lot of them via facebook or instagram so thank you to you uh folks that have been posting on there this week we have a listener story from someone i went to high school with her name is april um she i was just fascinated because here's someone i've known 20 something years and i've never known these stories Mm. um but she shared some really cool stories with us and i got my sister for those of you guys that have listened to the show forever know my sister um has a million stories and she's a medium herself but i I got her to read this story because she also went to high school with april and so i wanted her to do it and uh so this is my sister uh reading april's story Uh, And I mean stories because she has two of them. My name is April from Kentucky, and I have two experiences with ghosts. When I was 18, I was riding home from my boyfriend's house. It was somewhere off of 3rd Street in Louisville. I forget the road's name. I think it was called something that started with a C, and it was a girl's name. Anyway... I was approaching 3rd Street. There was a woman seemingly floating towards the street in front of me. As I got closer, I could see her eyes were blacked out. I passed real quick. But when I looked in my rear view, I halfway thought she was going to appear in my back seat. She was gone. The second experience I want to share from when I was 29, I had moved into an old building. My landlord turned this old house into two apartments. I was on the downstairs part, and nobody lived upstairs. 
I was laying in bed and I heard this child laughing. I had asked my landlord if he knew the history of the place and he just bought the building and didn't know much about it. I heard the laughter every now and then, but nothing else ever happened. I often would try and talk to whoever it was, but nothing. It happened once when the kids were staying over, and they heard it too, so I know it just wasn't in my head. Yeah, so that's the first one is the one that gets me because that's something I always am scared of. Like, I try not to look at people, strangers in the eyes, like yeah. when I'm driving, because I'm like, if I see blacked out eyes, I'm done. I've seen too many horror movies. Was it, it makes me wonder if it was like, if it was blacked out or just hollow. Oh, Josh, that's even creepier. <laughs> that one's going to keep me up, man. Now I'm going to see freaking H.H. Holmes with no eyeballs. <laughs> Ugh, that's creepy. You're welcome. Um, but thank you, April, for sharing those stories. And thank you to my sister, Trisha Murphy, woo woo, um, for performing that. She's not an actress, and I had to coax it out of her, so I was really <laughs> glad that she did that. Um, but again, you can uh, share your stories on the Fearscape Media Network group page, on our Facebook page, or you can email them to fearscapepodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to fearscapepodcast.com, and there's a submit. Um, Sighting report. Yeah, submit a sighting report. That's also a space for you to share a story. You can do that there. We love them. UFO sightings, cryptid sightings, weird, quirky things that we had an urban legend like two right. weeks ago or whatever. All of these are great things to send in to us. Um, but real quick, one more time before we get out of here, I just want to push again the Fearscape Media Network and to please check out my new horror podcast called Misters of the Dark. Uh, this is Lance Wayne and I uh, covering all things horror. We just covered the baby. And then our next episode will be on killer clowns from outer space with... Uh, uh, Fearscape FM's old host, uh, Brad McQuarrie. He's going to be on there. He's awesome. never, so we're going to be talking about killer clowns from outer space. Um, we've got a, just a lineup of, of people get, getting ready to come on uh, Misters of the Dark. It's a lot of fun. It's it's every other week. You can go to fearscapemedia.com slash M-O-T-D podcast the motd podcast is also instagram and all the and twitter and all that jazz um but yeah please check out this media network we're so excited speaking of which on youtube we just dropped the uh newest episode of fearscape unhinged yep the secret space program oh i just watched it again last night man it's good it's good. Uh, my dad was like, I haven't heard of half that shit. And so he loved it. Like, yeah. and he's been like researching that stuff. He's like, <laughs> look what I found. These guys were actually on Mars. So <laughs> like if you're, you're interested, check out yeah. our discussion. You know, it's a Facebook or it's a YouTube show. So they actually get to see our beautiful faces uh, and all that stuff. Uh, and check out again, Jeff Mudgett's all of his stuff uh go to um bloodstainsthebook.com yep. uh and anything else anything else josh before we wrap up no you know just uh, as a reminder we've got some great t-shirts out there in the store we add new designs all the time fearscapepodcast.com mm-hmm. slash store yep. um and you know we're, we're still trying to get our patreon off the ground so if you like what we bring you you like the content you like the network as we grow it Please consider doing uh, something monthly to kind of help us uh, 
Exactly. Yeah, this Fearscape Media Network is going to be, it's that new home for podcasts and YouTube shows of everything from the weird to all that stuff to meditate, whatever, like yeah. everything. Um, and this goes out there, too. If you guys have a podcast or a YouTube show that you're interested in joining our network, um, feel free to email us at fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to talk to you and see if you'd be a fit for our network and what we can offer and things like that. We want to build this network filled with all the things that we love and you guys love. Yep, so exactly. And it's it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. It is a lot of stuff. But on that, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Keith Age, thank you so much for just hooking us up with Jeff Mudgett. We are just so just yep. great to have uh, built a new friendship with this guy. We're so very, very excited. Um, and on that, we're going to get out of here. My name is Stefan, and I will catch you on the flip side. This is Josh. The truth is out there. And remember, folks... Hold those blankets extra tight, especially if you're in a weird hotel and like there's a pit opens and there's alligators underneath or there's just a cement door on the other side. Get out. Uh, But if you're in your home, hold it. Hold it extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. I'm so glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. (laughs) Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps and spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your blankets that you hold them extra tight. Next time on Fearscape. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!